0: In Second uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter two, verses three through seventeen. Uh, before we start the message, something that's on my heart that I just want to encourage you in. As you may or may not know, uh, Proposition One Fifteen is on the ballot here in a few weeks, and it's a really important issue. Uh, Colorado is one of seven states where you can get a late-term abortion. You may not know it, but babies are can be aborted here in Colorado all the way up to the due date. Um, And so on Proposition 115, it would limit late-term abortions. And God's the author of life. You know, he's the one who's given life. Life begins in the womb. So that's a really important uh, one to to vote on. Uh, Yes on 115 will make it to where that won't be the case here in Colorado. It's an important election year. Every year is an important election year. And we look to Christ, and I would encourage you to be a steward of the freedom we've been given. We live in an awesome country. Would you agree? Uh, God's really blessed us, and we get to choose our leaders. We get to vote, and by entering into that that process, it has impact upon our country. And we want to live out the scriptures in every area of our life, and so as you look to vote, vote the scriptures. The, the issues that are in the scripture, then take that to, to the voting booth and be in prayer for our country. And so that's just on my heart. wanted to, to share that with you. So let's pray, and then we'll go to the word this morning. So. Jesus, we thank you that you lead us in triumph, that you are our champion, you are, you're our general, and you have won the victory uh, for us. And as we study your word this morning, we pray that we would be encouraged as we look at this issue of forgiveness and reconciliation, that you would heal relationships and take relationships that are broken and bring them back into unity and harmony and, and sweet fellowship. Lord, you know us. You love us and you care for us. We invite you into our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What are some great generals in history that come to mind? If you were to list three of the best generals who would come to your mind, that's difficult because do you rank them by their character or do you rank them by the success on their battlefield? But of course, Napoleon Bonaparte comes to mind of winning so many victories in, in battle. Ulysses S. Grant in the Civil War, he performed really well and is a general that stands out in history. Alexander the Great is another name that comes that led his men into triumph. If we think about generals, if you will, on the sports field, what are some great athletes that come to mind? I grew up watching Michael Jordan play basketball, a fun time in the NBA history to to watch sports, and you just had this sense that when it really came down to it, Michael Jordan was going to find a way to win. Like, that's just how it was going to go. It really wasn't about his teammates, even though they had a lot of great players, but he was going to find a way to win. He was going to find a way to, to lead in uh, triumph. I hate to admit this, but Tom Brady's the same way, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, just hate that. Here he goes again, and he's going to come back and have, have a victory. And, John Elway in his prime, fourth quarter, when he had the ball, you're like, I think he's going to find a way to be able to win. LeBron James is similar, a basketball player that seems to find a way to win. More so than any of that is Jesus Christ. We're going to read in the word this morning that he always leads us. He always leads us in, in triumph, that he's our general, that he's our, our champion. There's two ways specifically that he leads us in victory, and one is forgiveness, to receive forgiveness and to extend a forgiveness. The church of Corinth was dealing with a man who had fallen into sexual sin and now it was time to forgive him because he had repented. It was time to restore him unto fellowship. And God was wanting to lead the church in forgiveness. But then also that we're the fragrance of Christ as we follow our general, that he uses us to be that fragrance of Christ that is dispensed throughout the world. Verse one, or excuse me, verse three. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul had postponed a visit with the church of Corinth because he wanted to deal with these issues first. He wanted to deal with this issue of this man that needed to be restored. He wanted this to be a joyful visit instead of a sorrowful visit. So he now then shares his heart before he gets into this difficult issue. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you." he's gonna have a difficult conversation. Before he has this difficult conversation, he says, I've got anguish of heart. My heart is grieved and I've shed tears over these issues. And I've shed tears over this man that needs to be restored back unto fellowship. I find that it's easy sometimes to enter into difficult conversations, whether it's with family or friends in, in the body of Christ without really sharing our hearts or allowing our hearts to be broken. This is a season where there seems to be more difficult conversations. More people are on edge uh, with each other. So it's even more important for us to emphasize the love, to emphasize, hey, you know, my heart is for you. I want you to know that I really I care for you and I've spent time praying about this and if you've gotten to that place where man you're emotional about that and you're saying man this has brought me to tears there's this tension that's happened in the relationship with Paul and the church of Corinth and he says I'm grieved and I've shed tears Jesus wept over Jerusalem as we think of our champion our king our our savior He allowed his heart to be moved to the place where he wept over them because he wanted to bring them close. He wanted them to be in right relationship with him, but they would not. And so it's important to allow our hearts to be touched and communicate that love. In Ephesians 4.15, it says, speaking the truth with love. And sometimes we have the truth, but we don't have the love. And Paul emphasizes his heart of love before he has the difficult conversation. Verse 5, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. So Paul acknowledges the pain that this man had caused inside of the church. Now he warns the church to not be too severe towards him. Reminder, what did this man do? 1 Corinthians tells us that he's sleeping with his stepmom. He was having sex with his stepmom. And the church, instead of confronting it, this was a well-known fact in the church, is the church accepted it and just allowed him to continue to be in fellowship, didn't challenge this sexual sin in his life. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and says, you got to confront this guy in love. You got to have church discipline and not allow him to enjoy the sweetness of fellowship for the purpose of his repentance and then eventually his restoration. So the church of Corinth does it. They implement that church discipline. Apparently, he did repent. But after he repented, the church of Corinth didn't want to welcome him back into the church. They didn't want to restore him on, to fellowship. So they were too lenient. Now they're being too severe. Have you ever found that in your own life? My goodness, have you ever experienced that as a parent? Or sometimes you're like, man, I was too lenient. Looking back over here, I was too lenient. But, but now I've moved over here and I'm, I'm too severe. It's hard to walk that balance of making sure that we're either not too severe or we're too lenient. And that takes the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. That takes the guidance of, of the Holy Spirit. Now the church is in error being too severe. In verse 6, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. So Jesus says he leads us into triumph. He leads us in forgiveness. He leads us in restoration. Can you imagine the weight that is on this man who is in this sexual sin? Comes to a place of repentance, comes to a place of brokenness, because he was put out of the church, gets right with the Lord. Now he wants to be right with his brothers and sisters in Christ, already wrestling with condemnation, already wrestling with guilt. Can God forgive me? Then his brothers and sisters in Christ don't want to have anything to do with them. They continue to keep him at arm's length. And if the church isn't careful, this guy's just going to be swallowed up in sorrow. He's going to be swallowed up in condemnation. So the church, this is the time for them to forgive and to comfort this man, to bring him back into fellowship. So here's the truth for us to meditate upon. We've received far more forgiveness than we're ever going to have to extend. If we're in the church of Corinth, and this guy's caused some pain, caused some hardship, and we're in the place where we have to extend forgiveness, extend comfort, extend restoration, God has forgiven us far more than we're ever going to have to extend. When we think about all of our past sin, our present sin, the sin we'll unfortunately commit in the future, God forgives all of our sins. Scripture tells us we're justified, we're declared righteous because of our position in Christ. God doesn't just forgive some of our sin, And as he's forgiven us of our sin, he's welcomed us into relationship with him. When we sin currently and we confess our sin to the Lord and forsake our sin, he's quick to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and bring us back to that place of fellowship. Have you ever gone to the Lord when you're broken over your sin and asked for forgiveness and God's like, not today. I'm not forgiving you today you've done this just too many times, you've lost your temper too many times, you've walked in lust too many times, I'm not going to forgive you. God's quick to to forgive. So as there's been repentance in this man's life, now it's time for the church to forgive and offer comfort. Is there somebody in your life that you need to extend forgiveness to? It's time to extend forgiveness. There's been repentance in their life. There's been change in their life. It's time for there to be restoration of relationship. Yeah, there was a time for the church discipline, but now's the time for restoration. Is there somebody that is feeling an extra level of condemnation because we're keeping them at arm's distance? They've hurt us, so we don't want to let them back into our life. But they've changed, and God's doing a work in their life. And so, so now it's time to extend that forgiveness. Forgiveness is always a choice that we make based on the truth of Scripture, not upon our feelings. And we wait for our feelings, we're not going to get to that place of, of forgiveness. There will be a freeing work that happens in our lives as we forgive, as we let this be buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. Wouldn't it be wonderful for this man to not hear of this anymore? To be able to come into the church with a clean slate? This is behind him. Christ has paid for it. He's learned from it. I'm sure him coming into the church restoration doesn't look like, do you know what he did? Do you know who he was sleeping with? It's to see him in the position of being in the blood of Christ. This is encouragement to me because God has the power to bring us out of sin. Amen? He has the power to be able to bring us out of sexual sin and sexual perversity. And as that happens, there's that restoration with the Lord, and there's that restoration with one another. But consider it this morning. Is there someone that I need to forgive, that I need to extend the grace that I've received? Verse eight, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. As they've forgiven, this man's wrestling with guilt. He's wrestling with shame. It's time to reaffirm love towards him. Is there someone in your life that you know has struggled with sin, but now they've come to a place of repentance and it's time to reaffirm them. It's time to be able to reach out to them and say man God loves you and I love you and I'm for you and I'm so proud of you I know how difficult it is to be able to turn from sin are there seasons in your own life where you've struggled with sin and God's been faithful to bring you out of that sin and someone's come alongside of you and said you know what I'm with you I don't shame you I don't I don't guilt you I'm so thankful for what God has done in your life and those people are a breath of fresh air aren't they oh man thanks for encouraging me I really needed that encouragement and this this man needed that encouragement verse 9 for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things this is interesting to me but when someone else sins it gives us the opportunity to walk in obedience so first being able to lovingly confront their sin As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should care for each other enough in humility, getting the log out of our own eye first before we go for the speck. But we should love each other enough to say, I care about you. And the road that you're on is destroying your life. It's hurting your relationship with God and and hurting others. So it gives us the opportunity to say, am I going to walk in obedience to love them that way, to love God in that, that way? But then once they've repented... We also have an opportunity for obedience to extend forgiveness and to extend restoration. So there's something on our part where we get to trust the Lord and walk in obedience. In verse 10, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Now, if indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Paul's saying, as you forgive, I'm going to come behind that forgiveness and ultimately that forgiveness has taken place before the lord this is a process and a step in forgiveness when someone has hurt you is in your prayer life to express to the lord i forgive them lord i know you've forgiven me so i choose to forgive them in jesus name i forgive them because god you have forgiven me verse 11 lest satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Another truth to meditate upon is forgiveness protects us from Satan's devices. It protects us from his attack. Satan wants to bring division and destruction in the church of Corinth over this man's sin. And God wants to restore the man and build up the church. doesn't want this to be the end of the story, of the church, but to be an enriching, deepening story of God's grace lived out amongst God's people. How does Satan come in and attack us when there's sin? Satan loves to swim in murky water, it's almost like a shark. You know, shark's an opportunist, and there's blood in the water, so here comes the shark. And and Satan knows, okay, he, here's sin that's taken place in a marriage. Here's sin that's taken place in a family. Here's sin that's taken place in a in a church. So I'm going to try to get in there. And two ways that he attacks, for the person that's committed sin, they're wrestling with, can God forgive me? And Satan's the accuser of the brethren, and he is quick to Bring that accusation. Bring that condemnation. You've gone too far. God can't forgive you. How much did this man hear those lies from the enemy? You can't get right with the Lord. You're with your stepmom. You're with your dad's wife. Who, Who does that? God can't forgive you. And it must have been a process for this man to be able to receive the forgiveness of God. For some, the challenge is not extending forgiveness, but it's receiving it. You really don't believe that you're forgiven, and you still carry around this weight of of sin, and the enemy's quick to attack in that way. It may be something that was five years ago or 15 years ago, or it was the middle of this week, and here you are with this burden and this weight and this heaviness of sin. We see David's life as he committed adultery and he committed murder. There was no sacrifices in the law to make atonement for his sin, just death, just capital punishment. David went to the mercies of God and experienced God's forgiveness and restoration, only based upon the grace of God. And he writes in Psalms 23, how blessed is the man whose sins, whose transgressions are forgiven. It seems to me in David's relationship with the Lord, he received God's forgiveness. He allowed God to lift off of him the the weight of sin. And allow God to, to lift off of you the weight of sin. I know we don't like to think about it this way, but when we don't receive the forgiveness of God, we've really elevated our sin above the blood of Jesus. My sin is greater than the sacrifice of Christ. But when we receive God's forgiveness, we're understanding the value of God's only begotten Son, His beloved Son that went to the cross to die. And I don't deserve forgiveness, but forgiveness isn't based on me. It's based upon what Jesus has done for me. And so because the sacrifice is so worthy, because Christ is so tremendous, then I can receive forgiveness from the Lord. I can live in forgiveness. Pilgrim's Progress have this story of a man who's carrying the weight of his sin and he comes to the cross and it's like a backpack that's just weighing him down. The cross lifts the weight of sin off of his shoulders and that happens at salvation. But also as we continue to walk with the Lord, to allow God to lift off sin, to lift off that weight of sin, to know that you're forgiven. You're gonna have a great day today, no matter what your circumstances are, if you know that you're forgiven. If you know that your father forgives you, that you have peace with God based on what Christ has done. If there's something between you and the Lord, you go, man, my fellowship with the Lord is not quite right. I know that there's a sin I need to be honest with the Lord about. As we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. So that's a way Satan attacks us to where we don't believe that God forgives us. And the other way that he attacks us is we move to a place of bitterness and resentment when someone sins against us. We're not extending that forgiveness to someone else, and our hearts get hard and our hearts get angry. The root of bitterness, it, it corrupts many. Many times, you can tell when someone is bitter. You can hear it, you can see it, you understand it. But the person who's bitter can't see it, or doesn't want to let it go, doesn't allow the Lord to soften their heart to say, I'm not going to continue to be able to walk in bitterness. I can't stay in this, this place of, of resentment. So we have to be wise. We have to be wise on how Satan's going to attack marriages, how he's going to attack families. Is there somebody that you need to forgive in your family to where you're not walking in bitterness uh, towards them? Are we in that place where we become critical? If we become overly critical, that can be revealing the bitterness that's in our hearts and our minds. Is there one of your children that you need to extend forgiveness to? And if you look deep inside, you go, there's some bitterness that's there. Is there someone in the body of Christ to so the church as a whole, the body of Christ as a whole, if you started to get bitter or disappointed or disillusioned with, with the body of Christ and, and God's saying, hey, it's time to let go. You're gonna be vulnerable to Satan's attack if you continue in this place of bitterness, if you continue in this place of resentment. I feel like resentment is a very sneaky way that Satan gets into our hearts and our lives. It's the backdoor attack. It's the backdoor attack. Go, man, I'm justified in feeling bitter towards this person. They've they've really wronged me. Look at what this guy did. And before you know it, our heart has been overcome with, with bitterness. One of the things that seems to be taking place is the church of God as a whole, believers were being awakened to God's love and we're getting stronger. But also it does seem that Satan is attacking more. In all of the confusion that's taking place in this season, it's easy for Satan to attack. So we've got to be wise against his devices. We've got to understand this is how Satan is going to try to get the best of us, is to either not receive forgiveness or to not extend forgiveness. In verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, Paul was always committed to the gospel coming to cities, and his mission, his goal, is I want to declare what Jesus has done for you, the love of Christ, where Christ would die for your sins. And a door was opened to me by the Lord. Only God can open up the door for us to share the gospel, and that's what we're praying for. And I had no rest in my spirit because I didn't find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Titus is a young man that Paul discipled, similar to Timothy. And you can see the love that Paul has for Titus. Here he is in the midst of a great work. God's opening up a door at Troas, but Titus is supposed to show up. And Titus never comes. And Titus never comes. And Titus never comes. And so Paul's worried about the well-being of Titus. You ever had a family member or a friend that's supposed to meet you at a particular time? Say it's 12 o'clock and now it's 1215 They don't show up 12 30 now it's 1 30 they're not answering their phone you're getting really worried about them right are they doing okay and this shows that to paul titus wasn't just a worker he wasn't just an employee he wasn't just a way to get ministry done he was a son in the faith and he really cared for for titus verse 14 now thanks be to god who always leads us in triumph in christ And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. This word leads us in triumph. The the word triumph has the understanding and the idea and the context of the Roman generals when they would defeat someone. They would come back to Rome with their captors and parade them through Rome showing the victory that they had. Remember, Paul's living in a Roman context The church of Corinth is living in a a Roman context. This dominated culture, a dominated conversation, and Paul would use that as an illustration to say Jesus is the champion. Jesus is the one who has defeated the enemy and he leads us in triumph. We've just read of Satan's devices and Paul's saying, look, Satan's not the one who wins. Jesus wins, and Jesus has already defeated Satan. The victory has been given to us. Jesus always leads us in triumph. Way more than Michael Jordan. Way more than LeBron James. Way more than Alexander the Great. What has Jesus already defeated? He's already defeated sin. Sin doesn't have the victory in our lives. Sin didn't have victory in this man's life who went into sexual perversion ultimately, God was faithful in his life. Sexual sin and anger and bitterness has all been buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life. Death has been defeated by Christ. Death is not going to have the final word. We're racing towards eternity. We're racing towards our glorified bodies. We're going to trade in these tents for for new versions. Those that have died in Christ are going to be raised up to forever be with the Lord. Death doesn't have the the final word. Christ has won the victory and he's leading us in triumph. It doesn't always feel like it as we're going through daily life, mundane life, but to know in faith that Christ is always leading us in triumph. The victory is from his perspective. It's not always from our perspective of knowing that God is working even when we can't see it. One of the realities now of Christ leading us in victory is he's diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Paul's using this imagery of a powerful smell, a sweet aroma. And everywhere that you go, you are dispensing the knowledge of Christ, the fragrance of Christ. In verse 15, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To the one, the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? On Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Leviticus. We're going through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And you see all of these sacrifices that are offered to God. And every time that one of these sacrifices is given to God, God goes, oh, this is a sweet aroma to me. This this smells so good to me. He doesn't just go, oh, this is another burnt offering. This is another peace offering. This is another sin offering. Each time he's like, oh, this, this means so much to me. Now God's not looking for the sacrifice of animals, but because of what Christ has done for us, We're in right relationship with God, and we simply get to be living sacrifices, live out of that love. And as we do that, our lives can be a sweet fragrance to the Lord. First and foremost, the smell, this fragrance, it's unto God. Secondary, it's to encourage believers and minister to unbelievers. But if we get that order mixed up, we're going to constantly be frustrated. Living a life unto the Lord is so that he would hopefully go, Oh, that smells so good. I'm so thankful for that sacrifice, that worship, that service that you're giving unto me. But then secondary is to those who are being saved, as they come across your life, they go, oh, this is a a sweet fragrance. Your love for Jesus is an encouragement to me. Or those that have a soft heart towards salvation, they sense the life that you have in Christ. But those who who are perishing they have a hard heart towards Christ you're the aroma of death you're a stench in their nostrils so let's have some fun with this this morning what are some smells that are sweet to you that when you smell it you're like this is so good right anybody want to share with me I'll give you a few of my favorites to kind of get this going cinnamon rolls rolls, that's on my list Freshly baked cinnamon rolls, yeah? What do you got? Coffee. That also is on my list. Freshly brewed coffee. It's a little bit late in the year for New Year's resolutions, but if you need one still, start drinking coffee. If you don't, if you don't drink coffee, you could start. But freshly brewed coffee in the morning, it's a great way to start the day. Any other good, good smells that you just. Barbecue. Come on, Mike. Right there. Barbecue smells so good. How about meat in a smoker? Anybody? Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, you know what we're not going to do is the alternative to this. <laughs> we're not going to have group participation on the smell of death. But I'm going to share a story. Is that okay? Like, oh, no, here it goes. But this week when we were up hunting in the woods, we came across a, a dead elk. And he had died not too too long before we'd, we'd found him. And that first day, he didn't smell too bad. But there was something about this dead elk where you almost just had to walk by it every day to see what was going on with the decomposition process. Remember, this is a group of men, right? So you're like, what, what's going on with this, this dead elk? And as the week went on and we would check him out every day, he really started to stink. To the point where we called this little valley that he was in Death Valley, Right? <laughs> And it got to the point where you're like, okay, I'm done checking this guy out. This is, just, this is just gross. And what Paul writes here is it says the aroma of death. And this is not something that we're really around much in our culture, thankfully. But death stinks. Like a carcass out in the wilderness, it smells. A, a body, someone who passes away, if it's not properly buried, it's going to smell. And it's going to be a stench that takes place. And this brings us to another truth to focus on is the fragrance of Christ demands a response. The fragrance of Christ, it demands a response. There's gonna be those that are encouraged, they're believers that go, oh, that's a sweet smell. That's freshly baked cinnamon rolls. That's that's meat in a smoker. Oh, that was such an encouragement to me. Those that have a, a soft heart to the Lord, they're like, hmm, this is interesting. There's something here that I haven't experienced before in life. Maybe that's where you're at. You're here this morning. You've been here for a while and you're just exploring who Jesus is. I'm so thankful that you're here. You're listening online. You're like, there's something about Jesus. There's something about the people of God. I'm drawn to them. They're a little bit different. But then those who have a hard heart, they're like, man, that, that's a stench of death. I don't want anything to do with you. Maybe you've experienced that in your family. You have some family members that are like, what, you're into Christ? You're into studying his word? You believe in heaven and hell? Man, I don't want anything to do with you. Just, just get away from me. You have coworkers that find out that you're a believer and all of a sudden you're just a, a rotten stench in their nostrils and they're like, get, get, aw- get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. So to understand that this reality is happening, I think as we get closer to the second coming of Christ, this is going to become even a greater reality. That kind of gray area is diminishing, and people are either being drawn to the Lord, they're being drawn to Christ, or they don't want anything to do with Christ. But remember, the Apostle Paul, he was one who was radically opposed to Christ, and he eventually received Christ as their Savior. So there may be somebody who really is opposed to Jesus in your life, but that's not the end of the story. Maybe at some point they'll soften their heart and they'll come to know Christ. Our last verse this morning, verse 17, "'For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ.'" Paul wants the church of Corinth to know, hey, I'm not peddling the word of God. I'm not trying to get something from these messages. I'm not trying to swindle you or take advantage of you, but I sincerely am sharing God's word because it's from God. This is the word of God. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to twist it. I'm not going to try to benefit from it. This is his word and I'm speaking it in the sight of God. I'm accountable before God In sharing the word, James writes that not all should be teachers because there's a stricter judgment. There comes a a judgment with teaching God's word. This is God's word. Who am I to change it? I need to try to deliver it in the way that the Lord has written it. And I'm accountable before Him, I'm sharing it in the sight of God. So Paul shares that. Three questions for you. The first is Do you need to receive God's forgiveness in your life? As a believer, as the child of God, you're struggling with, man, does God really forgive me? Maybe you think that God forgives about 80% of your sin. Oh, lying, he can forgive lying. But there's this 20%, man, that's really bad. There's this part of us, part of our past, part of our current struggles, we go, man, I don't want anybody to know about this. If people knew about this, they would just run away. They wouldn't want anything to... To do with me? Could God really love me? Does He really forgive me? And to receive God's forgiveness, to look at the work of Christ. And again, don't allow this to be driven off of your emotions. Sometimes there's emotions that come along with forgiveness, but sometimes they're not. I'm not going to allow my emotions to get the best of me to win this argument. Jesus, I believe you forgive me because your sacrifice is worthy. You declare in your word. That you forgive me because of what Christ has done for me. And make that choice of faith and receive and live in the forgiveness of God. Know that Satan wants to come to you and accuse you and allow you to live in condemnation. You know Christ is your savior. You're the child of God. You belong with the people of God. Don't let Satan rob you from God's forgiveness. And then, is there someone you need to extend forgiveness to? Is it real close to home? Have you found yourself getting bitter towards an immediate family member, a close friend? Have you found yourself disappointed or disillusioned with the church of God as a, as a whole as we've walked through this COVID virus? And to be able to say, I'm going to extend forgiveness. I'm going to extend grace. It's time for me to reaffirm my love towards this person, towards the body of Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate that bitterness in our hearts and our lives. And then do we need to respond in faith that God is leading us in triumph? Respond in faith. I may not feel it, but I'm responding in faith that Jesus is my champion. He's leading me in triumph and that my life is a fragrance unto the Lord and unto others. Paul asked it interesting question in this. He said, who's sufficient for these things? How are we able to be the fragrance of Christ? How are we able to dispense the knowledge of Christ? We can't do it in and of ourselves. It happens through God's power, his might, through the power of the Spirit that fills us. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you afresh into our hearts and into our lives. Would you show us those areas of our lives where we need to receive your forgiveness afresh? To really believe in faith that you've died for all of our sin. Receive God's grace and his forgiveness afresh in your life. Allow him to lift off that weight of sin is there someone that you need to forgive in Jesus name their name is on your heart and on your mind choose to forgive them choose to pray for them Go deep on the list. Maybe there's several names. God's forgiven you. Extend that forgiveness. You're never going to extend more forgiveness than you've received. Father, you have the ability to change our hearts, where our hearts have gotten hard because of bitterness, resentment. Would Would you come and make our hearts soft? You give us your unconditional love to those that have hurt us. Jesus, you're our champion. You're the ultimate leader, the ultimate general who's so powerful but yet so kind. We thank you that you always lead us in triumph. The victory has been won. We want our lives to be used by you. Would you fill us afresh that we could dispense the knowledge of Christ everywhere that we go? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. This morning, if you need prayer, we know it's difficult times. We're available here in the front to pray with you, also online with the chats and the comments. And if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, to consider what Jesus has done for you. Jesus died, he rose again for our sins. All of us have sinned. And as we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus is God, inviting him to be the Lord of our life, he grants to us heaven. He grants to us eternal life. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God loves you. He paid the price for you. He doesn't want you to go to hell. This is not a decision that you can just put off. What you choose to do with Jesus determines whether you go to heaven or hell. So if you want to receive Christ as your savior, come right during this song, come and say, and I want to receive him as my savior. Online, if you would like to respond to Christ, let us know and we'll minister to you one-on-one. Maybe you find yourself like this man who was in sin and you're at church, but you know that you're living a double life. You go, I come here on Sundays, but this is what I do on Sunday nights. It's some kind of sexual sin. It's some kind of sexual perversion. Maybe it's abuse of drugs or alcohol. The Lord, the Lord knows and you know, and God's calling you out. God was calling this man out to say, you know what? I got something better for you. The reason that God doesn't want us to sin is because it destroys our lives, And you know it's destroying your life. You may be cheating on your spouse and you're like, man, nobody knows. My wife doesn't know. She thinks all things are good in our marriage. My my husband doesn't know. And God knows. You're like, man, my parents don't know. Here I am in sexual sin with this person that I'm not married to. Nobody knows. God knows. And in his love for you, he's calling you out. And I'd encourage you this morning to, to respond. Come and receive prayer. You don't have to go into the details, but go, man, there's sin that I need to turn from. But the most important thing is take action in that relationship. For this man to get free from the sexual sin, he had to end the relationship. And he did. And God restored him. And he was restored unto fellowship. And God's grace and his restoration is deeper than our sin and greater than our sin. And he wants to call us out of that place of darkness. He wants to call us out of that place of sin into his marvelous light.